0: You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today, we're bringing you an episode from the Encore series, where we revisit past museum programs and conversations. Welcome back to the third and final installment of Breaking the Blue Ceiling, originally introduced live on December 9th of 2020. The series concludes with discussions about why law enforcement is often considered a man's job and how that stigma can be dismantled, the importance of recruitment and retention of women, and why now is the best time for women to enter the field of law enforcement. And now for part three to conclude this series of breaking the blue ceiling, a special revisit for Women's History Month.
1: I think that every uh, every one of us on the panel can relate to the the hurdles uh, of balance, right? Of being uh, trying to balance life, you know, personal life work-life, and we probably want to give 100% to everything, right? And I always say, um, when they ask me that question, I always say the same answer. Uh, Don't do a really good job. Don't ask me that question. Uh, But Jim, I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to start with you on this question, and I want to hear your thoughts as well uh, from Melissa and and Kristen. So Jim, um, when you hear someone say that, uh, whether it's a man or a woman, who says that policing is a man's job... And I know that uh, we look at the skills. Uh, what's necessary for me? The heart, right? Intelligence, teamwork. And it's not all about physical prowess. Uh, there are plenty of, uh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, what I call examples out there that we can show that it's definitely not about that. Especially the LA sheriff's deputy saved or partner recently. And so we bring our mindset and our heart and set and our soul to the job. And so, what do you say uh, for those that are men or women that? do say it's a man's job. Melissa, I'd like to hear your thoughts and and Kristen, your thoughts as well on that. So Jim?
2: You know, that's, I've been, I guess, blessed in that way is that I've not worked among men that have actually overtly said that. Um, And, you know, I I think I know there's that mentality out there. And a lot of times, like the physical aspect of any law enforcement job, quite frankly, is, should be something that is a last resort and if you handle yourself and do the right thing hopefully you can talk yourself and talk the situation out of avenues you know your 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 physical um strength to to resolve a situation but dude you know, i haven't really i was i did not grow up in organizations that really felt that way the hurdles that we saw and what was keeping the um and, I, and believe me i'm sure there's some those unconscious biases as well as overt biases along the way i'm not saying it wasn't there it wasn't, wasn't expressed to me um, in that way. The hurdles I saw that was keeping the, the, the number of women in, in law enforcement down was a cookie cutter approach to kind of how we, how we um, the policies that we had, the leave policies that have, and more of the expectation is that a one size fits all that did not accommodate the personal situations that, that uh, many women may go through, like pregnancy. You know, um, it's not a one size fits all. Guess what? News break men do not have babies, they don't get pregnant for and carry a child, they do not have the potential health issues that arise that may cause them to have to go off on off duty even earlier because they have you know blood pressure issues or whatever they need to be veteran, they don't have all those challenges, but yet a kind of our approach over the years um, has been a kind of a one size fits all approach to expectations and empathy to a situation. Um, And so those are the things that I really like kind of struggled with. And I look at in law enforcement, local, federal, you're probably gonna spend and have have that officer or agent for 25 years of their lives on the average, right? Maybe even longer. So why not try to come up with policies that can accommodate them during their times of of life, which it will happen. Why not come up with policies that will, Will embrace them and can keep them in the workforces rather than making that hard decision. Uh, and that's something I think that if, if you're able to do that, otherwise what happens? They get and I experienced it. Um, they get to the point where they are pregnant and they have they're making a decision because they don't feel that they can fit into the mold. That has been acquisitioners. So what do you do? You go back. You spend eight months recruiting somebody. You spend them through the academy for six months. Then you train them up for another year on the job, and you've lost two or three years as it is. So you know it, it would be a lot more efficient. Matter of fact, I've seen people go off on working part time. They're just as effective. A lot of people that we have on the first working full time. So coming up with ways that, that um, I think accommodate people during that during their journey in life, you'll end up with a more dedication and loyalty toward the organization because you've stood by them and they'll stand by you. And I get that goes for any gender, but also they won't be having to make those key decisions of do I stay or leave because of motherhood, which is unique to, um, to, to every law enforcement officer. So those are the types of things that I saw the hurdles and kind of the uh, reluctance to make that change Um all over the years just to break out of a cookie cutter approach and expectations and allow people treat people as individuals and, and unique individuals along the way as well.
1: Hey, thank you, I, I, um, I appreciate the attention to uh, the hurdles of the uh, experience when we have those who uh, make the choice to carry and, and be a mom and, and go through that. Uh, I'd like to hear your perspective a little bit on hurdles, Um, Melissa, if you wouldn't mind, and and maybe answer that, you know, what are your thoughts when you hear, uh, because I know maybe you don't hear it uh, overtly, but I can tell you uh, even some of the questions that we are posed is, you know, well, maybe some women just don't want to join, just don't want this career. Uh, So maybe share some of what's on your mind about that.
3: Well, if you're referring kind of to the last question of uh, policing being a man's job, I I kind of laugh when I hear that, to be honest with you. Um, You know, I wasn't always received well. I was five feet, two inches tall on a SWAT team full of six foot tall men. And and I was still able to do the job. And, uh, you know, I can understand that that sometimes that's uh, maybe a little bit demoralizing. Um, But if I had listened during the course of my career to what people told me I couldn't do I wouldn't be where I am today. And you know, I remember during my first few years on the job, I, I asked for an opportunity to attend a pretty intensive defensive tactics instructor's course. And uh, it was it was a course that was out of state. It was very intensive. A lot of students were getting injured during it. And I was initially told no. You know, it was only for male officers. And I was really angry about it. And uh, you know, I pushed the envelope. I ultimately got sent to the training. I did fine minus some bruises and a little hernia repair that I had to have when I got back for flipping yeah. a 200-pound guy. But, but it was kind of one of those things like, yeah, you know, the girls can do this stuff too. And I, I think, you know I understand that there are people that may think like that, but instead of getting offended when somebody makes a statement like that or, or thinks that this is a man's job, I'd rather just think they don't know any better or they haven't seen it any differently. Because the, the reality is in all of our agencies, everyone on this panel, We have women in our profession every single day in every assignment that are excelling and law enforcement is a traditional profession we are evolving you know i think back to 1997 when i first entered the profession at my first station house there was a men's locker room and there was nothing for the women and that's just how it was back there and eventually those things changed for for me i'd rather kind of look at the trajectory of women over time in our profession We're seeing more women serving as police chiefs and in non-traditional roles. And there's no question that some of that traditionalism still exists, but as new generations continue to fill our ranks, our, our profession just keeps progressing and that's encouraging
1: yeah great great yeah. i I, uh, <laughs> I would imagine you're probably a great example of the hate hey, physical proudness only but uh as you know that it's definitely not right um, so what I want to do is uh, have christian start off with the next question and you can also dovetail in and tie into your uh hurdles that you would like to share but I'm going to ask you uh, I know that uh, you know some agencies do it really well when it comes to recruitment and retention especially but it's, especially recruitment because right now i think we're all in that same boat i think all of us are really focused on recruiting i know for atf that's our biggest focus next year is trying to recruit talented uh, women especially and especially women of color and i know that some agencies and some organizations are getting it right uh, I would like to hear your perspective on that. Uh, if it's uh, something that you know, you're doing at your department or other departments that are out there that you know are doing it uh, really well, uh, maybe if you can share that. And also, if you feel like you want to add to a little bit of your own hurdles, because I know you had your own as well, uh, feel free. I'd love to hear your perspective on that.
4: Sure. I wish I had a good uh, answer for you about recruitment and retention, especially you know uh, with females. Um, but the truth is, I'm struggling. Um, I thought that we would have more females applying to the job with a female chief. That just made more sense to me, but I'm still struggling to get past the uh, 12% mark in my department. Um, And so then if you don't have a large number of females or uh, people of color in your ranks uh, on your force, well, then how do you promote uh, through the ranks if if they are not there? So this, this problem is twofold for me. And I'm really proud of the fact that uh, that that myself and my command staff have built uh, the most diverse command staff in the history of the department. Uh, I promoted the first uh, African American um, um, man to a deputy chief position, the first uh, African American female lieutenant. I'm proud of those things, but there. But but again, when you try to reach down and tap people and tell them, you know, I see something in you, I get a lot of pushback, and I will I will talk strategically just about females and it goes kind of back to what you were talking about of all of you about that work-life balance is by the time you come up um, about the seven to ten year mark when it's time to promote well by then you have to go back to the bottom of the totem pole as a sergeant three to 11 shift with Tuesdays and Wednesdays off. And I have a lot of females and even some males who are saying, I don't want to do that. I I will miss my kids games. And so that is a challenge for me. I don't have the answer because I'm honestly not doing a very good job at it um, in our recruitment. And and I don't know how to be better. Um, but some of the hurdles kind of go along with that. In our profession, and you still hear that these templates that we have, you talk about the scrutiny, uh, you know, these are templates, these are man-made, and I mean man in the generic way, Uh, and I'll get to that in a moment because when I say it in the generic way, templates are contrived. They are what other people assign to what a certain person should look like, whether that be, um, you know, a a chief of police or a police officer or a board president or the president of an organization insert whatever title here, we have this this contrived template of what that looks like. And so from the beginning of my career, in fact, the first uh, time I was sitting with my field training officer, month one, uh, I'm sorry, month three, and my lieutenant looked at my field training officer, both male, and the lieutenant talked over me to my field training officer and said, wow, she's doing a pretty good job. Have we gotten her in a fight yet? and, and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm, I'm right here. Uh, and, and my field training officer, a male, uh, God love him stands up and says, stands up for me and says, um, honestly, um, she does pretty good, uh, talking herself, uh, talking other people into, to handcuffs and using her communication. And it's kind of the same thing that Melissa said, I'm five foot four. And, you know, when I came on the job in, in 1994, I was 120 pounds. And so I didn't have the luxury, you know, uh, of using, and I, I say luxury and I I mean that in jest of, of, you know, I had to use my human influence and my communication skills to get people into handcuffs because I knew, you know, in the backyard or a dark alley, I I wasn't going to win. And so that is something that believe it or not, I thought would get easier through my career. So that's the the beginning. And then the book end Mm -hmm. is, you know, I just, um, I just uh, went through the process for the Chicago Police Department as superintendent and I made it to the final three. And this is when I say generic in that templates are man-made is that I had a female who was on the, um, the police board she said to me, I don't know how uh, a little girl like you are are going to get these officers to follow you. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a female. So this is 27 years later in my career and I'm still grappling with that template. So to kind of bring it back all around, I think that that, I think people do still attach that template of, oh, I can't join policing because you know it doesn't look like me, whether you be a person of color or whether you be a female is that we still, don't represent, you know, everyone. And that's a problem. And the second hurdle, and then I'll quickly uh, let you move on, um, is a lot of what Danielle said about when you get to a certain point, um, that you start to let all of that noise fall away. And the minute that everything changed for me was I had this thing that I used to do. And I was like, well, what are they going to think? And what, what are they going to think about this decision? And then I remember asking myself, who are these theys, and why do I give them so much power? And and I literally sat down and thought of who these theys are in my life, and I got this idea from Brene Brown's book, and and I wrote down who the theys yeah. are, and they are the people who hold me accountable, they are the people who call me on my BS, um, but they are the people who care about my well-being those are my days. And I know if I'm doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, and I'm good with my days, what a piece that comes over me is that then I, I'm I'm good. So I'll I will leave it with that. And just to say that that template about women in policing are what feed exactly what what uh, what Commissioner Outlaw went through. They looked at that in the headlines. I followed it. The first decision she makes was to change the nail polish when that wasn't even what she set out to do. It was just a comment in passing, but it fit the template of women in policing and people latched onto it. Um, and it's frustrating.
1: Yeah, so, I, wow, that was great. It was uh, got caught up in your, in your dialogue because I think that uh, what you have to offer, I have to share. I think that the, the people that are out there really... Uh, That's what they want to hear. They want to hear that. And I know maybe we don't have all the answers when it comes to recruitment or how do we recruit, uh, I know for us it's a challenge. Uh, we have hovered over that 11, 12 percent, but you know I, I would say if, if it's not someone like myself that's leading an agency, then who best to to tackle this problem? So we are getting a little higher. I have just hit 15. Pretty proud of that. Uh, but again, not a lot of women want to work explosives and and firearm cases. But um, Linda, I would love to hear a little bit, especially with women of color uh, in particular. You know, you have a national view, and that is something that I think that you know, perhaps you can give us some guidance or advice, or maybe there's some others that are out there on this recruitment issue that we're all having uh, across the country. And I know it's civil unrest at times, and we have such, issues that we're wrestling with the fairness of the criminal justice system and all the things that we have we hear in the narrative that's out there and you know is it the best time to be a police officer and i always say it's the absolute best time to be a police officer and i try to you know instill that at the academy so linda i'd love for you to answer that question and melissa if you could answer that as well next so
5: even sitting as the president of noble regardless of the organization there's a there's a common thread with all of it recruiting recruitment has to be intentional. It's not something that just happens. You have to be purposeful and you have to make a person feel good and coming into. Once I get into that organization, I still shouldn't be judged just because I'm a woman and I'm a black woman. But again, we have to make the plan feel level that, okay, now that I'm here, Mm -hmm. and now it's on me to know my job and to know my job well. And that's what I'm being evaluated. I just happen to be Linda Williams. I'm a special agent and that's what I'm gonna be judged on. So as we said, we have to prepare ourselves to know that if, if we're gonna be there, we have to be better than our, our, our uh, uh, other colleagues because we're judged by a different measurement. And one thing to it, even as you align yourself, you still have to be authentic to who you are, to what you bring to the table, your skill set. And you know, we all are created uniquely different, but those are the things that make us valuable. So never to sell that. So what I have intentionally tried to do as an executive in the Secret Service is to make the plan feel better and an easier transition for black and brown girls and people to come into this organization. One quick thing, as I would go throughout the country, speaking to all age groups from, you know, elementary school to civic groups and colleges, you know, I had a little girl that came up to me and she said, wow, Special Agent Linda Williams, I didn't know I could be that. And you know what, and that's what it's about, that you can inspire somebody, that you can show them. And that's what we have to do in our roles as management and executives to let other people know that, you know what, we give you ownership, that you are part of this and not just there to occupy a space.
1: Uh, Linda with why, remembering that. Um, Melissa, if you could just, uh, recruitment practices, maybe you're doing something, you're, you're maybe you're getting it right, your department. Uh, I think we've all tried to uh, figure out the best way to try to make our organizations attractive, to make the profession, I call it the profession of policing attractive for women. Uh, Could you just maybe give us uh, just a bottom line up front on your organization of maybe doing it right?
3: Well, you know we're, we're struggling like everybody else' is um, we We are absolutely above the national average, but you know, I, I think myself and all of my colleagues we're, we're all struggling right now with recruiting but but our goal in Baltimore County is really to increase female representation across the ranks and When I started in my position a year and a half ago, I was actually the only female on our entire command staff, so that's captains and above, and through a series of promotions of, of qualified, talented women. Um, once we do another promotion over the next couple of weeks to another captain we'll have moved to eight percent eight and a half percent of our command staff being female and i know that doesn't sound like a lot but you know in a year and a half it's progress and this year with our captain's test a third of the women that a third of the people that were tested were, were women so it's progress we still have a lot of work to do just like everyone else but uh, it, you know we're, we're moving in the right direction. I am proud of some of the professional staff that we have appointed, um, women director of public affairs, my director of human resources, my diversity equity and inclusion director, my director of analytics. And one of the things that my public affairs director really focuses on is making sure that we put out visions um, to the public of, of how much we value the women in our agency I want young women to see our female officers in positions across the department, whether it's canine, patrol, investigative units, anything in between, all the way up to my level. And just like Linda said, I I want them to be able to envision themselves in these positions. We also brought together a group of volunteers, and we brought them together to be able to create coaching for people that are looking to get promoted or apply for specialized units. And while it's open to the entire organization, we also know that there are some officers that that, aren't linked to a group or don't have an in. And a lot of times there are female and minority officers and we want them all to have the same advantages and tools to be able to prepare themselves uh, for promotions and things like that. And we wanna make it a level playing field. So those are some of the things that we're doing and we still have a lot of work to do.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this series of Breaking the Blue Ceiling, part of our Encore series and specifically released to celebrate Women's History Month. We thank you for joining us again, and we'll stay tuned for our upcoming episode releases every Wednesday, and once a month, we'll publish an Icons episode exclusively on Tuesday. We hope you learned something from this episode of Encore, and we'll join us again next time for another edition of Encore, where we revisit past museum programs and conversations. For more information on this program, follow the link in the episode description. A special thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Encore, a series from the Precinct 444 Podcast Network by the National Law Enforcement Museum. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. We would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to precinct444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 East Street Northwest in Washington, DC, and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org and stay tuned for more podcast content from Precinct 444. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the precinct.